thanks for having me. Um, wasn't that amazing worship? Thanks, worship team. Can't see you all, but yeah, let's thank them. That was really powerful. I'm very privileged. I'm like, oh, I feel greedy to be here because that was just gorgeous. It, it never gets old lifting Jesus high, does it? And it never will. That's the point of the whole thing. So I'm like, oh, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Just close your eyes and tell him you love him. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful to be here in your house, free to worship you, free to praise, free to lift you high, free to remember that in the end times, when it's all said and done, you'll still be there and we'll still be here singing, holy, holy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We absolutely love you, Lord. We love who you are. We love what you did. We love that you sent your son so we could be reconciled to the Father, the God of love, that we didn't have to live in a world full of difficulty and sin without any hope, but you sent hope to us that we could know love, to reconcile us with you, the Father of love. Just love you, Jesus. Just tell him you love him. Just thank him for something he did today. Thank him for something he did in your week. Say it out loud. Put it on your lips. I want to hear you. God likes the sound of your voice. Tell him you love him. I love you, Jesus. I love who you are. I love that you follow through on your promises. I love that you mean what you say. I love that you are who you say you are. I love that there's always more. I love that you love me. And God, I just pray as we start... I just thank you that you have got a gift for every single person here. And I thank you that even for me, I'm greedy, I'll take it. Even if I'm speaking, I'll take it. That you're giving us a new level of faith and belief in who you are. And in Jesus' name, I just bless you all. I bless our hearts to be open and to hear the voice of the Father. I just see him coming and it's like he's shooting arrows into the heart of each person here there's a different one for every person here and it's a word straight from the father to you it might be nothing I say but God but it will come from him right from him so father I just ask that you would give us open hearts to hear you give me an open heart to hear you and Jesus I just pray that if there's anything that's been distracting people from this week Anything that's been hanging around that doesn't need to hang around, we just tell it, now's your time to go. Any distraction, you can leave. And God, we just thank you for open ears and open hearts to hear you, open eyes to see you. And we thank you that you're showing us something new of yourself today. So we welcome you. Just welcome him. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Spirit of wisdom and revelation to come and show us more of the Father. I just declare over all of you, no man can stop the kingdom of God. And I really feel like there's people here that it's felt like man, I'll come to this more in a little bit, but it's felt like man has got in the way of the plans of the Lord for your lives. And even as we start, God, I just pray that you would shoot deep in our hearts the word that we need to hear, that no man can stop the kingdom of God in your life, in your family, and the plans of God for your life. A safe and secure. Okay. I just like praying and I get distracted when it feels good. It feels really good in here, doesn't it? Yeah. People, smile and nod. I like a reaction. I just was in Kenya a month ago. They're loud. Last time I was on a stage, it was 850 high school Christian Union students who were loud Kenyans. And they were like, Every time somebody got healed and God did something. So just give me a little, loosen up your little Aussie selves, shake your shoulders and give me a little bit of smiles back. I'll feel encouraged and that'll be nice for me. Thanks. Um, so my name's Philly. As you've heard, I live in the UK, but I was in America the same time as Rachel and Pete and Sherry and um, had the privilege of spending some time at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, which is a great place. Recommend visiting. It'll change your life. But God can change your life anywhere, yeah? And so I just really feel like every one of you is here for such a time as this. And that there's a real call of God on this house to influence this region. And be a family that shows people what the Lord looks like in a really unusual way. So God is looking for a people who want to believe he is who he says he is. So I'm going to share with you just a little bit of my journey 
um, I'm going to share with you some of what God's been doing with me in the last couple of years, tell you a bunch of testimonies, and my goal is to make you feel greedy and hungry for more. Hi, guys. No, you're fine. Hello. My goal is to leave you feeling dissatisfied and hungry for more of God. I want to make you a little bit good jealous. Is that okay? And by that, I mean you'll never move anywhere if you're not hungry for something you don't already have. So I really feel like God is going to give you guys as a house a new level of belief and hope in him. So I'm just going to share some stories from my life. We'll do a little bit of a bring and share. Sunday church lunch, bring and share. And I'm going to bring and share some of me. And I really believe I'm going to receive and get some of what's here I already have in the worship time. Um, but just, I just want to tantalize you, make you a little bit hungry for maybe some things that aren't quite as normal in your world. Some of you, I'm sure, will have things that you could share with me in return. So I'm not saying I have all the answers and all the messages, but I'm the one holding the mic, so I'll share mine, and then I'd love you to come and be, if you can share one with me and pray for me, I'll take it. Um, so, belief in God is how we love him. When we're in heaven singing, holy, holy, worthy, worthy is the lamb, it's going to be really easy to believe that he is who he says he is. In this time where he's placed us, we're in between the day we got saved and the day we'll be in glory, praising him forever. And right now, the biggest thing we can do to love on the Lord is believe him. Because we can't see it all yet. So we're going to go to the book of Hebrews while you turn there, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories and then we'll come back to it. God is looking for a people who will look in the face of the problems of the world and shout aloud, I believe. I believe in you. I believe you're the God of miracles. And I believe you are who you say you are. And I feel like today, there's a lot of people in here, I can feel the faith in the room. There's a lot of people that already believe in God, but I feel like what God wants to do and what we're going to talk about is things that can stop us from believing in him, why and how it is we believe in him, and then the Father is going to take us from where we are into a new level of belief and hope. My story, in fact, before I read it, let's just go for Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the men of old obtained a good report. By faith, we understand that the universe was framed by the word of God, so that things that are seen were not made out of things that, were vis that are visible. I have always been someone that was hungry for more of God. You probably are if you're in this room. But I didn't always think that some of the things that have become normal to me now could have been normal to me. I am 30 years old. I grew up in London. I remember some of you, I know, have connections with different churches that would have been aware of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened in Canada in the 90s. I grew up when that came to London. That hit my primary school. And I remember being at school and my teachers getting touched by the Holy Spirit and I figured out that if I went up to them and poked them and said, more Lord, more Holy Spirit, they would laugh more and not be able to teach me and I wouldn't have to have lessons. <laughs> so that was a great way to grow up. I, I grew up knowing the Holy Spirit and um, I grew up being hungry for more of God. But I didn't always really grow up seeing him do what I was hungry for. I remember praying that he would come, but my experience of him coming, apart from that isolated time in the mid-90s, actually was few and far between. I was desperate for more, but I hardly knew anyone that had seen a miracle. And if a speaker came in from out of town, I would maybe see a miracle or maybe see something amazing happen. But actually, my day-to-day -day normal was kind of conference high, struggle through life, go to a Christian camp, meet God, think that's amazing, and then go into a big pit afterwards while I struggle to try and find a way to live through the reality of amazing experiences with the Lord and then a journey where that didn't seem to be happening every day. And um, I moved back to England 2014 in the summer and had went into one of the hardest seasons I've had in 10 years. 
Um, I had a, a number of things in my life go dramatically wrong. I had a job that was a dream job suddenly go completely the opposite to what it was supposed to be. And the people that I was going to work for didn't follow through on any of their promises. At the same time, I had a breakup. At the same time, I had quite a few people in my world die of cancer. And it kind of seemed like this is a whole really bad series of events. I was really miserable. And I could not see through the cloud what God was doing. And I knew in my head somewhere he's in the middle of this. But actually, the reality of the journey was this is not feeling super fun, Lord. I've heard all this great stuff at Bethel. I know you still are who you say you are, but right now what is around my life is a lot of struggle. And since that time, God's taken me on an incredible journey and I ended up in a meeting, something like this, someone laid hands on me, I fell on the floor and I got off the floor and I had this weird thought in my head, I need to go do some ministry with the refugees in northern France. Um, you obviously, we're all aware there's a big refugee crisis going on right now. But I was aware that there were a lot of refugees somewhere nearby, but I didn't know where they were. And I kind of just thought, well, they're somewhere close by, so I should probably try and go. And it just, it was a God thought that was in my head after I got, got prayed for. So I ended up connecting through a series of events with a friend and went on this trip and um, went to the jungle in, it was called the jungle, this camp in northern France. And I can only describe it as I almost had a weekend-long encounter with the Lord. And it's like since that point, my whole perspective has changed. And God has done something crazy where what I used to think wasn't possible is now normal. And it wasn't that the refugees broke my heart, although they did for many people, and I love the poor. But it was like I met Jesus in the middle of the darkest situation I'd ever seen physically. I've been to Africa. I've seen the poor in Africa. But there's something very different about a bunch of, I mean, it was eight to 10,000 people on a tiny plot of land living in the middle of mud with no possessions, no homes, nothing at all, no way of getting to England, no desire to be in France. The French police are beating them up. The English don't want them. And they're stuck in the middle. Most of them have no papers. They're living off handouts and they really have no hope. And also it's freezing cold. There's no heating and it's very muddy and smelly. And there's lots of rats everywhere, like pretty bad. But something happened when I stepped foot in that place where I met the brightness and the lightness of Jesus. And it's like I walked in and I suddenly couldn't, I just kept thinking, they need to know about Jesus. They need to know about Jesus. It was like I could feel, because I was in the dark, that the light was really bright. And I came away and I wept for like a week. I kept having to pull over my car because I couldn't stop crying, but I didn't even know why and I couldn't put words to it. And all I could say was it's not because it's the poor, but it's like I've never, I've never felt the power of the gospel in me like that. I've never felt the power of Jesus in me ready to get out. I've never felt Holy Spirit just, just ready like I want to go like pray for someone. And we did see miracles and we did see God do amazing things. But what was actually amazing was that in the middle of the darkest possible place I could have imagined, I found the light. And I really feel like as I'm sharing testimonies, there's probably going to be a one-liner that's going to pop out at you. And some of you, it's that you're in the middle of a bit of a dark patch and you need to know that you're going to find the light right where you are. And the light's Jesus. And why do we find Jesus? Because he's the one that takes us to the Father. And he's the God of all love, and he has everything that we need. So right in the middle of your darkest patch, where there seems like there's no hope, that's where the light shines the brightest. So I'm in the jungle, and we're surrounded by a lot of mud and disgusting stuff. And suddenly, I start seeing the power of God actually reach out and touch people. What's ended up happening since then is I made some really great friends on that trip, and I've been back there about 12, 8 to 12 times on different mission trips to the refugees in northern France because I realized I just, I just couldn't stop going, basically. I met Jesus, and so I was kind of greedy. I was like, I want to go find Jesus again. Off I go to the camp because often we can stay in the church and we're like, oh, I want that Holy Spirit high. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it was not lovely in worship. Let's all just stay in the church. And actually, the most significant God encounter of my life has happened when I went to a dark place. And you're not all called. I really don't think we're all called to go to the middle of the mud and the refugees. But it's an illustration of going to a place that needs more of God. And I have seen wilder miracles and had wilder encounters with Jesus outside of the walls of the church than I've ever seen in. And I've seen some cool ones in, too. But way more out. And your out might be your workplace if you're a doctor. Or your out might be a school where you're a teacher. Side, side note, I've got a friend who's a teacher in America and... If any, is anyone a teacher in here? 
Oh, yay. Okay, here's a testimony for you. A friend of mine in America, I got to know her in a meeting pretty much like this. Sherry was there, Alyssa. And um, she's become one of my best friends we met at church, basically. And she's a teacher in a public school in Omaha, Nebraska. And she had an encounter. She's had a couple of amazing encounters with her children, but it was just before Christmas this year. She was sitting with her kids, reading them a story, suddenly felt Holy Spirit come in the room. And two of the kids get completely distracted and won't tell her what's going on, but keep pointing at the sink. And um, she goes up to them afterwards and says, what was going on? And one of them says, miss, miss, while you were talking, he saw Jesus come in the room. And she had actually, that she'd felt the Holy Spirit and she started explaining to them who Jesus was in this moment. She was reading a story and then she just started talking about hope and Jesus and the love of God. And so she's sharing the love of God and Jesus physically walks in the room and these six, seven-year-olds are watching and pointing at the sink and one of them goes, yes, yes, miss, I did see him. His eyes were really bright and he was looking and smiling and waving at me while he was washing his hands. Isn't that cool? Like a public school in America where you're not allowed to talk about Jesus, she's, she's since had, she trains her kids to prophesy over each other. So they sit in class and they're like, oh, I love her. She's got songs that are going to change nations about a little Sudanese refugee kid in the class. The kid that wouldn't talk and wouldn't speak in front of anyone at school has never been in a class where she was brave enough to talk. And now she's going, yes, yes, I do. I have songs for nations. Turns out she's an amazing singer. So it's not just about the refugee camp. That was a fun tangent for you. But it's about Jesus coming in whatever dark place you're in. So I'm in these refugee camps, and I've ended up going back quite a few times. And God has shown me something incredible about what he can do with a normal person that says yes. Because I never, ever, ever, ever thought that I would be the kind of person that would go to that kind of a place in my whole life. When they would, we sat at School of Ministry at Bethel and every week they would do evangelism trainings. And I legitimately would sit in my chair and say, thank you God for my chair. Like, because I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to hear an evangelism talk. I felt 100% called to the church. I knew I'm a good administrator. I knew that I do certain kinds of jobs in my life, but nothing in me wanted to go to a slum. When they would do the like, who's got a call to social action and rescuing the prostitutes from brothels? I would be like, bless you. Enjoy that. And I'm, I'll be over here in America loving the Christians. That was what I felt like my call was. So God will do a sneaky on you and get you somewhere that you don't think you're going. And that will be a really good thing when you get there. But it may be helpful. You don't know you're going there until you're there. So I'm in the refugee camps and I did not know that was where I was going to be going. And we've just started seeing God do some of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. We've had times where we, we basically taken a guitar or a drum because worship is just and music is a great way of connecting with people. We don't take any aid. The reason for that is not because AIDS bad, but it's just because I know what our mandate is as a ministry. And if you're going to do aid in an environment like that, you need to do it very well. And there's a lot of detailed thought that needs to go behind distributing aid so that it has the right effect, not the wrong effect. Um, helping can hurt if it's done wrong in that kind of an environment. So we sometimes would drop aid at a warehouse of an organization that were doing it well, but ourselves, we just went in with guitars, with worship, and with a message of hope that people need to hear, which looks something like sit down, drink some tea, play some Bob Marley, and then find a way of segueing from Bob Marley into preaching the gospel, praying for the sick, and seeing them get healed and saved. Really fun. And um, usually it sounds terrible, but no one really cares because they're stuck in the middle of mud, and they're just glad someone's there with a smile. And it's amazing how far the Holy Spirit can take a really bad Bob Marley song um, when he has an agenda to love people. You don't have to be skilled to see God move. So we, we've had an amazing times where we've had Muslim restaurant owners, um, some Afghanis open, us, open up their restaurants and say, please come in and play your music. And we're like, you know, we're going to play our music to Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, play your music. So they invite us in. We sit down, get our guitars out, just start worshipping our hearts out pretty much like that, but sounding less great. And um, you feel the presence of God comes so easily in the darkness. And so you just start feeling him come, and we're all looking at each other like, oh, he's here. What's going to happen? And 
pretty soon someone gets a word of knowledge or a word they want to share. And so we just say, oh, is anyone here sick? And then we pray for them and they get healed and they want to know Jesus. Like literally, it's that easy. And so we've seen like a whole Afghani restaurant, just tens and tens of miracles breaking out. When we were in that restaurant, we came out, bumped into a guy outside. He got prayed for, his back got healed. And so he says he's from, I think he was from Pakistan or Iran. And he says, oh, come play in my restaurant. So we're like, oh, sure, we'll come. The amazing thing about this was we'd been asking God for a place to pray in the middle of the darkness, a place to worship where we could invite him to come right in the middle of the camp. Rather than praying from the outside in, we wanted to be right in the middle. And suddenly all these people started inviting us in. So we go into his restaurant, little kind of homemade shack, sit and start playing. And the Holy Spirit comes again. And one of the two of these guys actually just start, swaying and not really knowing why they're feeling the Holy Spirit. One ends up lying on his back and every time he tries to get up he goes, oh my head, and lies back down again because basically he's encountering the power of God and he's flattened to his back and can't work out why he can't sit up straight. Needless to say, we explained to them about who Jesus was and what they were feeling and very quickly they wanted to give their hearts to Jesus and then we went away. Actually one of them did and one of them didn't as far as I remember and there were a lot of other people watching and we went away that night and we came back the next day. It was a weekend trip. And as we walked in, they said, oh, it's so funny you're here. We were just talking about Jesus, Muslims. And um, so we said, oh, that's interesting. Why? And he, one of them said, well, Jesus appeared to him in his dream last night. But he wouldn't tell anyone what happened because it was so deep and powerful and personal that he didn't want to explain what Jesus had said or done. And then three days later, um, he ended up having some crazy supernatural favor with his journey. And when we went back, uh, it was about a month after that, all his friends who were in the restaurant said, oh, we know what happened. You prayed and his life got good. That was Jesus. And suddenly you've got a room full of 20 or so Muslim background men that have never heard of Jesus that really now want to know who's this Jesus because Jesus came right into the middle of the dark place and made a difference and um, I've got so many more stories I could tell you stories for a long 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 time because since that point God's I've been blessed to be able to go to Kenya a few times and I've been to a bunch of different places and we've just seen bunches of people get saved, bunches of people get healed, but not because I feel spiritual. I'm honestly very normal. Like if you know me, I'm very normal. I've got my issues and I never ever thought that would be what God would do with me. But all I've done is say yes and then plot myself right in the middle of a dark space. And I really feel like some of you, God's going to start reminding you even today and after today of places that used to be on your heart, but you stop believing that he actually could make a difference in your life. And, and I feel like he wants to start reminding you what it feels like to be attracted to a place where he isn't yet, or it doesn't look like he is. Because right in the middle of those places, that's right where he wants to come. But he needs a messenger because he's designed it so we do it together. I have been to Kenya and seen God multiply food. Last time I was in Kenya a few weeks ago, we saw God open up about 50 people's blind eyes. We lost count. There was a day where we prayed for so many people that, like, I literally didn't see one that didn't get their eyes opened up. Like, I was in shock. Like, it's not, I'm not a super spiritual person. We went to a witch festival in the UK, so this is a British one, and we set up a spiritual readings booth outside, and we just started giving people words using very carefully trained language so that we didn't offend them because they're... A lot of the pagan community are very offended by the church and they're spiritually hungry, but they've had bad experiences with Christians. So we're being very careful and we're giving a lot of like words that are full of love and the presence of God. And um, later in the day, I go out to give some more words and the people that I administered to in the morning come up to me and say, we've been around the whole witch festival and we've just been for dinner and we've been talking and we have to know, where do you get your information from? And these are like... Like, I'm not talking like an elaborate word. It's like God sees you full of courage and strength and authority. You know, the creator thinks that you're amazing. He's got good plans for your life. Like, that simple. Like, nothing complicated. Some of them were precise, but some of them were very simple and just full of love. We have to know where do you get your information from? Who is your source? Who's your medium? So I'm like, 
oh, okay, I've never done this before. This is the first time I've ever done that, like freaking out a little bit on the inside, like, oh, Jesus, help me not be that religious person they hate right now. Like, give me the words to say. I find myself saying, well, Jesus is our medium, but he leads us to the Father. Some people would call us Christians, but I'm not into religion, but I am into a God that loves me and a God that loves you too. And I start explaining to them how the Bible is my book of wisdom that teaches me how to meet the creator. And the creator is full of love. So I always know if I'm hearing him, if it's full of love. And I start unpacking the gospel to them. And these are like, they've come from Portugal to England, especially to go to a witch festival so they can, I don't know what, get a word about their life. And they find us on the street. Just because we stood in the middle of a dark place and pitched up outside a witch festival and thought, we'll give people some encouraging words and see what God does. Again, putting ourselves in the middle of the dark place. So, I mean, like last week, Easter, I was doing my shopping in the supermarket and I walked past this lady who's selling the big issue and I just was like, oh, I feel really drawn to her, but I'm really trying to work on taking more risk in my everyday life. So I challenged myself a little bit like I'm praying, God, give me one person a day. Give me one person a day to love that little bit extra, that little bit extra risk. So I walked past her and I'm like, I kind of feel drawn to her, but I don't know what to do. So I went into a grocery shop, came back out. She's still there. So I just went over and said, hello, what's your name and what's your story? And she didn't understand English. And I was like, oh, Jesus, what do I do now? So I just said, where are you from and what do you need? And she said she had a little baby. So I ended up buying her some groceries, came back out. And this random other guy comes out while I'm giving her her food and comes up to me and goes, hello, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, just chatting. And I suddenly get this thought he's got pain in his leg. So I ask him and he says, oh yeah, I just bought some medicine for it. So I said, well, can I, uh, can I, can God heal it? Would you like God to heal it right now? And he looks confused and eventually says yes and gets healed on the spot. And we then have a 15 minute conversation about the real meaning of Easter and how God's chasing him down with his love and he may as well take his deep heat back to the shop. Um, <laughs> outside the supermarket. It's not like it has to be at a refugee camp, right? So what I'm saying is, God has taken me from a place where I literally would pray that I would see one miracle in my life 10 years ago. And now this has become a crazy weird kind of normal that still a little bit freaks me out in my own head. Here's one thing I've learned, and this is Hebrews 11. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means firm foundation, concrete, the essence of something. It's evidence, it's strong, concrete, can't be moved. And what I've learned is that faith can be something that you can literally know God is going to come. And it's like you can know and you can believe, but there's always a greater level that God can take you to. And I feel like some people here, you know the idea of faith and belief, but you've never actually felt that like I would be confident to say to a man outside Sainsbury's or whatever your local shop is, God's going to heal you right now. And I feel like some of you, you're going to get an impartation today because there's different types of faith. There's the faith that you get when you get saved. And then there's gifts of faith that you can have prayed for and increase in your life when you see things by the laying on of hands. And God wants to increase your faith. So if you're hungry to see more of those kind of weird supernatural things, there's a gift of faith increase coming for you today. Why do we believe? God is a really good father. And so we want to experience his love, we want to love him well, and we want to love the world well. As I said before, belief is how we act out our faith in the Lord, our love for him. It says in James 2, you don't need to go there because it's just one verse, I'll read it to you. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. If we call ourselves friends of God, we must be people that believe. And believing him isn't just about like, oh, you're God and you're true. It's actually about believing that he wants to demonstrate the practical power of his affection in our lives and in the lives of people around us. It has to look like something. So I've got a few points for you on how do we believe. I'm telling stories as I go. So for those of you that are the really logical teacher types, give me grace because I know I'm not your probably style of speaker. But my goal today is not to give you a biblical exegesis on all the different aspects of faith. Because just Hebrews 11 could be 10 sermons and last you like three months. And it's brilliant. And it's my favorite chapter of the scripture. And I recommend you study it. 
Um, but my, my goal is just to tickle your fancy with some inspiration from a different person that's outside of your family of things I've seen God do. Sound good? So I've got a few points for you on how we believe. Hebrews 11. We've said faith is a substance and it can be firm. But it says faith is the evidence of things not seen. That means faith requires you to have things in your life that you don't yet have. You need to have a desire for something that's not in your world. If you don't have anything that you're praying for that's impossible, your God's not big enough. You should have things that you can't accomplish on your prayer list. You should have things that scare you a little bit because if they don't happen, you don't know what's going to happen, but you can't make them happen. It doesn't necessarily always feel good to be believing in something that's outside of yourself that's unseen. It's a tension between where we are now and where we're going, but in the middle of that, it will feel like God even if it doesn't feel good. Does that make sense to anyone? You're believing for something you can't see yet, and so there's a, there should be a dissatisfaction in your heart that there's something that you want to see him do that you don't yet have. That's God. But also in the dissatisfaction, that doesn't feel very pleasant. The not very pleasant is the motivation that's going to move you to respond. Faith needs something to overcome. Graham Cook says problems are possibilities. Chris Vallotton says, you will not have a testimony without having a test in it. And I really feel like for some of you that you are facing problems and circumstances right now that are looking like they're overcoming you, but they are an invitation from the Lord for a miracle. I even feel like there's some of you here that have been rebuking the devil, but it's not the devil that's making your life difficult. It's actually the Lord leaving space for you to partner with him and see the manifest love of the Father come and bring you a supernatural, practical, actual, tangible demonstration of the Father that cares for every detail. Your problems in your life are an opportunity for the King of glory to show you his affection. Your problems are a possibility waiting to happen. Your problems are something you should be thanking him for. Like, I mean that. And I mean that because I've journeyed it. Because when I first heard that, I thought, that is loopy. Like, your problems are possibilities. Your problems are an absolute miracle waiting to happen. I don't want anyone to be sick. I don't think God made sickness. I think sickness is from the devil. But I do think that in the sickness, there's an opportunity for me to feel the love of God touch my body. Has anyone here ever seen a leg grow out? I have. It's fun, isn't it? Because you can actually see the miracle happening. And I've had my leg grow. Um, I di- they used to be the same length. And then I fell over in Mexico once. And suddenly my back was really sore. And someone said, can I please check your legs? And they were actually, it's like it had gone out of line in, from the hip. And I felt it like grow back out while he prayed. It was the most bizarre experience. And then suddenly I burst into tears because it was like the love of God I could feel it moving my body. It was the weirdest experience. But God didn't make me have pain in my back. But that pain in my back was an opportunity for him to come. And I'm not saying that bad things are designed by God. God doesn't plan for things to go wrong. But in the space where things haven't yet gone right, there is a space that he has planned to pour his love in. And some of you, there's a big gaping hole in your life that you've been like, God, why are you doing this? What is going on? And he's like, just, just speak a word because I want to come. And he's wanting to bring you to a place where instead of looking at the problem, you're looking at it and you're going, Daddy, I am going to believe. I believe. I believe. And you're almost like pointing at the problem saying, I believe. Listen to me. I believe. And it's as you do that that you're going to start to see the power of God come. It's like you stand yourself in your darkest place. It might not be a refugee camp, but you stand yourself in your darkest place and say, all right, you said you're the light. I believe. Come. And wait for him to come. Your problem, your biggest prayer request on your list is his provision to take you to a miracle. 
So, how do we believe? Faith, it requires the unseen. It needs something to overcome. And it needs to behave. It needs to do something. It needs to respond. James 2.17 says, faith without deeds is dead. Your faith should look like something. It requires you to step out of your comfort zone. It requires you to step into the gap, into a dark place, and do something that shows that you believe something will happen. So this could be that you speak a word of hope. It could be that you choose in your inner mindset to believe that God still could do something. It could be that you declare something. It could be that you just keep on praying. It could be that you lay hands on the sick. It could be that you ask the stranger in the street, do you need a miracle? If God was real, what would you want him to do for you right now? Oh, you'd want to get healed? Well, he could do that right now if he was real. Do you want to try? It'll only take two seconds. It might just be that extra step of offering someone an invitation to actually encounter the God that you know. You won't see miracles without stepping into a space that needs one, but also without offering an answer. I um, saw a crazy miracle in Kenya last year where food that we had bought for four or 500 widows, it was enough food for 500 people, ended up having to feed over 700 people. And God taught me something absolutely massive about faith because I had never seen food multiply before that point. Um, But I suddenly realized we didn't have enough food. And I could have just been like, there was a big team, like 40 of us, I think, and I wasn't the leader of the team. So in theory, it wasn't my responsibility to fix the problem. But I've always been really intrigued by food multiplication miracles. So I kind of thought, well... If we don't have enough food and there's 700 widows here, there's only one outcome in my head. God's got to multiply the food. So if God's going to multiply the food, I definitely want to be there when it happens. So I'm going to give out the food. So I found my friend, Kelly, who's a missionary, and I was like, Kel, there's not enough. Did you hear there's not enough food? This is when you'll get a little bit loopy the more you hang out with God. I'm like, there's not enough food. I think God's going to... God's going to have to multiply the food. Do you want to come with me and give out the food? She was like, yeah, okay. So we run over to the cooks and find out when the rice is ready and how much there definitely is. Count it up, get the table ready, start giving out the food. And long story very short, a weird gift of faith dropped on us. I don't know what happened because I didn't have the faith up until that point where I just knew God's going to have to multiply the food. We start giving out the food. And In the end, 720 people ate food that was for 500. A whole extra massive pot of rice literally appeared out of nowhere. The cook never cooked it and cried and said, I don't know where that came from. I don't have that many pots. Like, I'm talking like a giant pot that feeds like hundreds, a giant saphira of rice. And um, there was a point in the middle where I was absolutely freaking out because I thought there wasn't going to be enough. At the beginning, I was full of faith. And I was like, big portions. Jesus does big portions. And I'm like piling the food on the plates. And then right in the middle, I'm like, oh, Lord, what have we done? We could have given everyone a small portion. But I'm like, well, Jesus didn't have a plan B. So we just kept giving out the food. And it fed 700 people. It totally multiplied. But the cool thing about that was for me was that I knew that God gave me faith, but I had to keep giving out the food. But also, if I hadn't have gone and given out the food... Like, I don't, I don't know what would have happened, but I wouldn't have been there when it happened. Like, I had to get myself in the middle, stand there in front of the pot of rice and be like, all right, Lord, and just start doing it. And I had this really amazing revelation of sometimes you just can't do anything except for keep doing right what's in front of you. Because I was like, I don't really feel like I'm supposed to pray loads of spiritual prayers, but all I can do is just keep handing out the rice and hope for the best. Your job, Jesus It's not our job to accomplish the miracle. It's just our job to keep giving out what's in our hand. And so some of you, you're looking at something. It's like you don't even want to hope because you're not yet sure if he's really going to come. And it's like, well, give out the pot of rice in front of you. It's his job to multiply it, but it is definitely your job to put it on the plate. It never would have multiplied if we never put anything on the plate of the people in front of us. We'd all just sat there looking at the pots of rice going, come on, Jesus. Like the pot of rice that appeared, appeared the last quarter of giving out the food. It didn't appear at the beginning. So if we hadn't have got halfway through, I don't think it would have come. I think we just had to start and see what he was going to do without really knowing. And like, I was genuinely worried we were going to have a riot in the middle. 
But I realized it wasn't my job to accomplish the miracle. It was his. Faith has to do something. Sometimes I think God even blinds the eyes of people around us to what we need so that we will step into a situation and be the solution. I genuinely, like there were many people that might have had more faith in me in that moment that had seen food multiply before on our team, but none of them were there. It was like they weren't bothered. I don't understand why they weren't bothered. There was a point where I looked around the room and genuinely, genuinely was like, oh Jesus, where are the people that have more faith than me? Because I don't think it's working right now and I need them. But then none of them were there. But what that caused me to have to do was actually dig into my own belief in the Lord and just keep on going saying, you are who you would say you are and you've got to do it. And so some of you, if you feel like you're fighting a battle on your own, I feel like the Lord wants you to know that he might actually be causing you to stand on your own to grow your faith. Rather than you're abandoned, he might actually be teaching you something that's just for you. And he's actually wanting you to get to the end of the testimony and know, I actually know I believed him for that just for me. I didn't need someone around me to cause me to believe. Faith can be different for different people. So you don't need to compare what your faith is to someone around you. I now have great faith for multiplying food, but I didn't before that point. You don't have to have faith for food to multiply, but maybe you will need that in future. But you might have way more faith for the school system than I do because I haven't walked and journeyed in that area. So one thing when you're growing as a community of faith is to realize that you'll all have different levels and measures of faith that you can share with each other, but that everyone's will look different. Yeah? Um, So how do we believe? Faith, it requires an unseen thing to exist. It needs something to overcome, and it has to do something. And there's, I know I'm kind of going long. Sorry. Um, I've got a couple of things that I feel like God wants to free people from. So I'm just going to say them to you, and then we're going to pray. Does that sound good? Yeah? Um, What are obstacles to believing? It's really easy to hear stories from a person from another country, from other countries, and just remove yourself or, or not apply it to the reality of where you are right now. And I was praying and I really felt like there were a few things that were going on in people's lives here that God just wanted to get rid of so that he can free you to stand up and say, I believe. And I believe not just because I, I, like it's nice to believe, but actually because God wants to do some crazy, wild, supernatural things in your life, in the lives of the people around you, and in the lives of the people that aren't yet sitting in this room. And if we can get rid of the obstacles in our heart to believing that he is who he says he is, I really think he wants to tangibly demonstrate in a whole new level his affection for you. And so one of the things that can be an obstacle is the lie that it's not for me, it's for someone else. That I'm not the kind of person that sees those kind of things. That the person next to me always sees miracles or has crazy favor, but I don't. That person always has miracles and when they get given money, but for me, I'm always going to be struggling because they're just better than me. It's a crass example, but we all do it in different ways. The fear of defeat. If you've been waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, it is flipping hard sometimes to stand up and say, I still believe. It hurts. There's a reason why it says in the Proverbs, hope deferred makes a heart sick. It does. But that's why God puts us in the body of Christ. So that when we're standing and saying, I'm struggling to believe, you can grab the hand of someone next to you and say, I'm struggling to believe, help my unbelief. And they'll grab your hand and say, I'll believe for you today, I have enough faith. The fear of defeat, unfulfilled promises and hope. God wants to take the microphone back in your life and so that the voice that you're hearing is not the voice of your bad past experience. It's the voice of the Father saying, there is always enough and I, all my promises are yes and amen. All his promises are yes and amen. He doesn't half-heartedly say my promises are yes and amen. They either are or they aren't. He either is who he is or he isn't who he says he is. If you're sitting in this room, you have to be believing that he is who he says he is. And if he is, he really means all his promises. And so if you have a promise from him that you are waiting for, there is no excuse not to believe. None. And if you're struggling to believe, you need to get yourself out of your pit and tell the person sitting next to you. 
because that every one of us has a day when we're facing something that we feel like we cannot overcome and we're struggling to believe and we're looking at the promise and saying, where is the promise, Lord? Where is the promise? And you might not feel like it's a possibility or an opportunity waiting to happen and you might just feel like, I give up. I give up. But actually, this is why God's put you in this room, because this is a family of people that fight for each other. This is a family of people that see each other's promises and says, you know what? I'm going to fight for yours harder than you are, because that's what Jesus did for us. He fought for us harder than we knew that we needed him to fight. He won it already. And so when we get to be Jesus to each other, we get to stand next to someone and say, your promise is more important to me right now. I'm fighting for you. I'm going to the prayer room. I'm fasting and praying for you. Your, your promise, your faith, your hope level is really important to me. We need to stand on behalf of each other and believe that he really is who he says he is. And we need to kill the fear of defeat in this house. And I really, I really, really feel like the Lord's going to just lift that off some people today, that it's not a weight that you need to carry and it's not something you need to keep on battling. So I'm really excited about that. Another obstacle to belief, the sting of disappointment. I was in Kenya the day after the blind eyes all got healed. The next day I prayed for four people in a row. One of them I'd had a prophetic word about before I got there. None of them were healed. I literally was losing it disappointed. And in that moment I knew I have to make a choice. I will not stop. I have to make a choice to not let the sting of disappointment stop me from moving forward. The sting of disappointment can stop you believing. Distraction and the issues of life can stop you believing. Listening to the wrong voice can stop you believing. It is an offering to the Lord to still believe him in the face of these things. But this is how we become friends of God. It's by looking in the face of all of those things, the things of this earth, the issues of life, the unfulfilled promises, the darkness that's right in front of you, whether it's your job, your family, your relatives that aren't saved, your aunt who's got cancer, or whatever else it is, or even just the fact that you're fed up with the fact that your eyesight is deteriorating and you just had someone at church telling you that she saw 50 blind eyes open up. That is a dichotomy. But it's an offering to a good father who's our friend to say, I will still believe you, God. I'll still believe you are who you say you are. I'll still believe that you mean all of your promises. And I understand that it's not my responsibility what the outcome is. It's my responsibility how I believe and then how I behave. And so I choose to believe you, God. I choose to behave in response to that. And I choose to let go of disappointment. I choose to let go of unfulfilled promises, of the disappointment of not having seen them come yet. And I choose to believe you are who you say you are. So do you want to all stand to your feet? We're going to pray. So right now, do you want to close your eyes? And Sherry, do you want to jump up? So we're just going to pray through a few of those obstacles. And then we're going to ask God to come and release a new level of faith for this family. So some of you, while I'm talking, I've been talking, you've been thinking of circumstances that caused you to get disappointed. Things that you're believing for that haven't happened yet. Or even you've just been feeling plain distracted and like you can't really be bothered to believe God right now because there's enough else going on in life that I don't really know how I can cope. That's okay, but you don't need to take it out of this door. You can leave it behind. So I just want you to picture that thing. If it's a circumstance that happened that's changed your normal, picture that thing. And we're just going to pray that through together. Okay, so we're just going to pray through um, those things that Philly's mentioned together. Um, I just encourage you to just stay in that place and keep your eyes closed as I'm talking. Um, I just, first of all, want to just get you to ask the Lord or ask yourself even if there's anyone that you need to forgive. Um, either because you're holding resentment against them um, or even sometimes we hold unforgiveness against the Lord. And the first thing we really need to do is let go of that. 
Sometimes it's because we've compared ourselves to other people who have maybe received the thing that we're believing the Lord for. And I really believe that God puts those people with fulfilled promises right next to us in our life, not because he wants to make us jealous or resentful, but because he wants to be like, see, this is what I want to do in your life. So as you feel like that you've forgiven anybody that you need to forgive in your life, I just encourage you, we can, what, whatever it is that you feel like is blocking you from um, standing in faith, whether it's disappointment, whether it's fear, sometimes we um, agree with things unknowingly or believe lies that we, we don't realise we're agreeing with and those things are not who the Lord has made us to be. So if we intentionally come out of agreement with those things, um, the Lord wants to take them because... Jesus has already paid, and he's paid so that we don't have to keep on paying. He didn't, um, his desire is never for us to live with pain or with disappointment or with sickness. He's paid so you don't have to keep on paying. So you can either pray out loud or in your heart, and um, whenever I um, kind of mention something, you can. You can um, fill in whatever it is, fear, disappointment, those sort of things. But I'm just going to kind of pray corporately and then um, maybe we can come around and pray for some of you individually. So, Father, we just come out of agreement together with those things that are holding us back, with a fear of disappointment, with a fear of what might happen. Together we come out of agreement with those things and we lay them at the foot of the cross. We thank you, Father, that Jesus paid so that we don't have to. And Jesus, we choose today to agree with you and everything you've done, to stand in faith together. Jesus, we choose to trust you above all else, above every other circumstance. And Jesus, as we lay those things at the foot of the cross, we thank you that you never take something from us, whether it's good or bad, you never take something from us without giving us something in return. So, Father, as we lay those things down, I ask you to tell each person what you're giving them in return. I saw at the start of the service like you were all um, given a gift from Jesus and he was so super excited to see you open it. He was standing there like, I can't wait. I want you to open it. And I feel like he's taking those things, those things that cause hurt and pain, um, unbelief, all those things. He wants to take them and give, give you a gift. And for each of you, it might be different. But I just encourage you to keep your eyes closed. Just stay with Jesus in this moment. Open that gift and see what he's giving you. So in Jesus' name, we tell the fear of defeat, of unfulfilled promises to leave you now. The sting of disappointment, the distractions of life, the comparison of it's not for me, in Jesus' name, we tell you to go. And Father, I just thank you right now for coming with a new level of faith for this house. And if you want to receive a new level of faith and belief in God, just open your hands in front of you as a sign to him that you want to take more. Thank you, Father, that there's a new level of faith coming for this house. And I ask that right now you would let your tangible, concrete, firm foundation of faith, a substance of faith, come right now on people. You would let them have a tangible experience of your presence, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You reveal to us who the Father is. That you would come right now. And Lord, would you rest on hearts? Would you rest on minds? Would you rest on lives? And would you rest on bodies? Whether it's faith for sickness, God, I just ask that you would let an upgrade in faith for healing and for sickness to be healed to come. Whether it's faith for dreams to be fulfilled and promises to be fulfilled, would you let it come, Father? 
whether it's faith for seeing you, seeing your affection, seeing who you really are, knowing you personally, feeling you personally. Father, would you let it come? Would you increase what you're doing right now? Would you open up eyes to be hungry for a new level of miracles in the supernatural as the manifestation of the love of the Father? Right now, some of you are having ideas, and it's like God is reminding you of dreams that you let go of, but you never realized you let go of. And from this point onwards, you're going to start just having ideas of things that the Lord wants to do, or even just creative things that you always dreamt about, but you never quite thought were possible. He's releasing a new level of expectation for what is normal. And even a hunger for a firm faith that you don't have yet. Lord, I just thank you that you're calling this house a people who believe. And while you're there with your arms open, I'm just going to say a few things that I felt like God said about your church. So just keep on receiving because this is part of the same word. Once you let go of that stuff and you ask him for more faith, your faith is for your life, but it's also for the lives of the people around you that are on your side. And then out of that place, it will be for the world. So I felt like what God said, and if you want part of this, just keep your hands out and say, yeah, God, I'll take it. I felt like God said that your church is going to be known for unusual, notable miracles. Things, things that are signs that make people wonder. I have had friends that have had money multiply in front of their eyes. They've seen a clock stop so that God could do all he wanted to do in a room. I've seen people have multiplied food in the middle of the United States when it wasn't needed, but it just made people like, wow, God, you're real. I've, there's dead, I know people that have been transported in the spirit to other places, proven by people in both places on both sides of the ocean in different countries. The reason I say those things is because I think that for, it will be different for your house what God does, but there are signs and notable miracles that are coming to demonstrate to people the practical, tangible love of the Father because God is in this house, but he wants out, and he's going to start demonstrating who he is in a tangible, physical notable way that causes people to look at him and say, who is your God? I have to know him. How do you get your information? Who is your source? Why did that food multiply? Why do you know things that people shouldn't know about me? Why are your family always healthy? Why does everything always go well for you? It might not be food multiplying for 800 people, but it might just be that the favor of the Lord rests on your house and whatever you touch succeeds. And all of you that are part of this church, God is going to start to do notable, unusual things in your lives that are going to make you wonder and have a revelation of the love of the Father, but they're going to draw people into your house because he's going to increase the size of your house, the number of people in this house, but it's not going to be from within other churches. It's going to be from outside of the church. It's going to be people that look at you and when they see you, they see a person who believes and a manifestation of the love of the Father, but they see it in your life. They don't see it in your heart. They actually see it in your life because they see the blessing of a good Father on you. They see things that are surprising and unusual and that don't make sense. And in the not making sense, they come to you and say, tell me how that happens. And I really feel like there's going to be a massive multiplication of the number of people in this room, but it's going to become a thing when the people in this room start to invite their neighbor for tea. So God's saying to you, go invite your neighbor for tea and let them see the light that's in your life. If everyone in this room had one person for tea every week or two that lives in your local area, your church would double in size in six months. Because everyone knows what real love really is when they feel it. I have not met one Muslim that didn't want hope when they looked in your eyes and they saw real hope and love. When they actually look at you, when they actually connect with you, they can tell there's something different. Invite your neighbor for tea. He's not calling you to be a normal tribe, but you're a tribe that pursues his presence, finds him, and witnesses him, the Father, coming. It will be visible, notable, and evident. And there, will be, there were times when Jesus did his miracles on purpose for all to see. And God is raising you up like a church on a hill. He's raising you up to a place like the lamp that was put on a hill so it could be displayed and it could be seen. He doesn't want to be quiet.
because he wants people to know his affection. And he's stirring a hunger. And so, God, I just thank you for a hunger stirring, even now in the people in this room, that it says, why not me? Why not now? Why not me? Why not now? I want what she has. I want what my neighbor has. I want financial favor because I want people to see that I'm a blessing because I give money away. And so, God, I just pray for a stirring to begin right now in every single person in this room, God, that are stirring. And even those that aren't able to be here today, that you would start to stir, stir a supernatural hunger for more of who you are, to see things that are unexplainable, to see things that we can't do ourselves. And God, I just thank you that in this house, you're calling this house a house of firm faith. You're calling this house a house with a firm foundation. And I thank you that you've been building and stewarding and and you've been stirring and building a great foundation. I just feel like the foundation is really firm, but now's the time to start going out. So God, I just thank you that what you have built is beautiful and secure, but I thank you that in the coming months, you're releasing a fresh vision for the new thing that is coming, that is going outside of the church and bringing in those that need to see the demonstration of the love of the Father. And you can be greedy for yourself, Because when you encounter his love for yourself, you will be a demonstration of it to the world in your life. So I give you permission to be greedy, if you want it, to be greedy to see miracles that show people the tangible love of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.